Well, let's pray and uh, keep that open. We'll have a look at that together. Father, we thank you for these, uh, these words of yours. Um, shape our lives, Father, and this morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, have you ever had to break some bad news to somebody? Anyone ever had to do that? Does anyone enjoy doing that to anyone? Probably not many of us. No, it's not. It's not. You, you want to try and avoid breaking bad news to people as often as you can, don't you? Uh, there's a, a man in China who was trying to avoid breaking the bad news. He was due to be married later this year, but he didn't want to tell his fiancée that he didn't want to get married. He didn't know what to do, and so he came up with a foolproof strategy. He decided, you know what? I've got a plan to make my girlfriend break up with me. So what he did was he walked into a shop and he stole a speaker and got himself arrested. Now, he walked into this dance studio, and um, he stole a Bluetooth speaker worth $290. He figured, he calculated, he said the amount was not so great, it would harm the shopkeeper, the dance studio owner, but at the same time, not so little that I wouldn't get arrested. So he made sure he got arrested, and he figured that by stealing the speaker, the public shame it would bring upon his fiancée and her family would mean that she would dump him. Now... I'm not sure if the plan worked or not. We haven't got any uh, reports on that yet. But um, who, who else finds it hard to break bad news? Would anyone go to this length to avoid it? No? I mean, there is bad news, isn't there? We look around the world, and there's, there's, there's one particular segment of our society that loves to break the bad news. Who's that? I thought Ali put a hand up. I'm like, no, I didn't think you were that sort of person. No, no. No, um, no. what segment of society loves to break the bad news? The media, the news, right? The news and the newspapers. There's, there's always bad news in the papers, isn't there? And there is so much bad news in the world today. I mean, just watch the news or read the papers. You've got fires burning out of control. Uh, you look around the world and there are diseases running rampant. Um, in Australia, there's also dust storms going. There's the rising cost of living that we keep hearing about. The banks are, seem to be quite broken, don't they? Um, there's shonky things going on at pretty much every level there. Um, we hear reports of road rage and the, new, the media has bad news. Uh, frankly, that could be the newspaper heading. In fact, these are newspaper headings all cut out and shown to you here. It's, it's easy, isn't it, to read the newspapers and see the bad world, uh, the bad news in the world that we live in today because the newspapers love to break the bad news. But it makes you wonder. It's so easy to find bad news. What would actually good news look like? What would good news look like? Anyone got any ideas? Did anyone actually talk about the question on the screen? What's some good news? No, didn't do it, sorry. Yes, Maz. When a baby's born, yes, that would be great news, wouldn't it? Yes, what else? What other good news would there be? If someone was to give you good news, what would it be? Imagine the, um, you're at home and the, there's a knock on your door and you open the door and it's the, the, um, the council and they say, look, there's been a mistake. We've charged you too much in rates and in recompense, we're going to fix up the foundations of your house. That'd be good news, wouldn't it? Okay, that one might not happen. Don't get your hopes up. Um, positive news about our nation, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Um, good news on the health front. You might want to get some good news on that front. Maybe good news about your finances, your career, relationships, fame, acceptance. The list goes on and on. What would good news look like? We're looking today at Mark chapter 1, and we're looking at words almost 2,000 years old. And the writer is telling us that he has some really good news. And as, I look, as we look at it, I want us to see that this is not just good news, all right? This is the best news. This is better than any other news that we could possibly hear. So look at chapter 1, verse 1 there. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, tough question, but does anyone know what the word gospel means? 
Good news, well done. I, I may have given that away, do you reckon? In the, um, the, anyway, the word gospel means good news. So it's the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A very interesting start. It's one of the four gospels. And Mark starts off a little bit unusually compared to some of the other ones because he doesn't, he's telling the life story of Jesus. He doesn't start with who his mum and dad were. He doesn't start with his genealogy, his story of his birth, the shepherds and the angels, that sort of thing. He doesn't explain anything to do with Jesus' history. He just jumps straight into it. This is good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And on goes the story. And it's, as it was being read, the word immediately kept coming up. It's all very sudden. It's all happening, right? Um, and he goes on. It, the second verse is, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. This is a prophecy 700 years before Jesus came along that somebody would come before him and prepare the way. And we see verse 4, who comes? John appears. So four verses on, he's moved a huge amount of the narrative along. He's telling the story here. The prophet Isaiah had spoken to the people of Israel. They were expecting a Messiah to come. And before the Messiah, one to come and prepare the way. Now, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not his last name. It's a title, Messiah. It's, um, he, he's the Savior King, the one who would come and set the Israelites free from their enemies, and he would establish God's reign as king. So that's who the Messiah is, the one expected. And it's part of God's big plan. Isn't it remarkable that 700 years before John the Baptist and Jesus, God's put this plan into place. One's going to come. He'll get everything ready, and then the Messiah will follow. It really makes you realize how short-term our plans are, doesn't it? Here's God's big plan. Um, you know, we have news in our, in our day, good news maybe, um, but it fades away so fast, doesn't it? One day, there's bushfires. In two years' time, we may well have forgotten what has happened this year. Or it'll be there in our memory, but our thoughts about it might have diminished somewhat. One week, we get told, eat this food. Another week, you get told, don't eat this food. Take bacon, for example. Should you or should you not eat bacon? Is it good for you or bad for you? Who said who cares? Yes. Yeah, we'll, take, we'll put that on record. Shane, who cares? Just eat it. Uh, always good for you, says Brent. Is that right? Who says it's bad for you? Anyone think bacon's bad for you? We get given conflicting reports all the time, don't we? Oh, it's bad for you. Oh, it's actually good for you. It's got protein. We get told different things, all right? It goes back and forth. One week... A politician makes you a promise. The next week, he keeps the promise. It's amazing. Oh, okay. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. Okay. Um, one week, someone gets promoted at work. The next week, they or the next year, they're out of a job altogether. See, when good news is based on our human experience and plans, it fades away or it fails or it's forgotten. But here's God's good news. and It's something that is not a short-term plan. It's a Long plan. It's been in play for a long time. 700 years, it doesn't stop the certainty that God's plan is going to come to pass. God has a plan. He's working that plan out. Which makes you, or should make you then, think about your own life and say, well then what's God's plan for me? Because we look at this picture here and we feel like that's God's view of us. You know, he's up high somewhere and we're all these little faces wandering down the street. Can anyone see anyone they know on there? You can't see, can anyone see anything on there? Can anyone see the people, actually? Maybe the front row, can you actually see those little people there? Yeah, can you see that at the back? There's a, all these little dots here of people. 
We feel like that's how God views the world. Six billion people, what chance has he got of knowing who I am? But here's the thing, God does know you. He knows you by name. He cares for you. And he has a plan for you. It's very tempting to feel like we don't matter. We're just in that rat race there, crawling along. No one cares. God has no purpose. But he does. God has a purpose for you. And he wants you to be part of his kingdom. And as part of his kingdom, he wants you to play your part in his kingdom. Now, John the Baptist had a very specific job, didn't he? He was going to prepare the way for Jesus. If you think that that's your job, I may have some bad news for you this morning. It's not going to be your job. All right, he's already come. And maybe your role in God's kingdom won't be as significant as John the Baptist's. And that's okay. But God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. What are we doing with that? What part are we playing? How are we using our gifts for God's glory, for his kingdom? Anybody here enjoy clothes shopping? Um, there's a certain type of clothes shopper, and they, they go to the shops, right? And they walk around all the different shops, and they look at a whole heap of clothes, and they try a whole heap of clothes on. And guess what they buy? Nothing. Nothing. What is that about? It's crazy. Well, there's a tailor in Spain, and if you go in her shop, you will not be permitted to do that, okay? She will not have you wasting her precious time. Carmina Azula Pascual has been making custom men's suits and tuxedos for 40 years now. And she and her brother run this business. They are quite good at what they do. If you walk into the shop, they know your measurements, she says. She looks at you and goes, aha, this is the right size for you. Okay? Maybe that's not quite her accent, but that's fine. And um, if you ask her for a fitting, she says no. You'll have to pay her for her to measure you. Okay? How arrogant is that, don't you think? She's got all her suits. These are some real-life examples of the suits that she makes. Um, and if you say, well, could you measure me to make sure it's going to fit? She says, I don't need to. I know your size. You're wasting my time. That's what she says. What's that? She needs to buy an iron. It's tailored, Jesse. It's supposed to be like that. Um, she, uh, she knows your size. And you, if you try and make her measure, she makes you pay. It's, it's arrogant, isn't it? Imagine being that arrogant, thinking that I'm so good at what I do that everyone should listen to me. I should not have to do what anyone says. Now, we come back here to Mark, and we see John the Baptist has the exact opposite experience. He actually is someone who we should all listen to. But what does he say about himself? He's this long expected one, but he doesn't want a bar of the fame for himself. There's a 700-year-old prophecy that he comes along. Here he comes, and he says, "Everyone, look at verse 5. Everyone comes to see him. All of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And what does he do? He lives in the wild. He wears weird clothes and eats weird food. And his job is simple. In verse 7, he says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See what he says? He says, it's not about me. I'm just a cog in the wheel. It's about Jesus. Wait for him. He's coming. I can give you a bath, but he can wash your hearts. He will bring real forgiveness. And I think I was struck by this because I feel like in life, it's so easy to want more, isn't it? I want more than I've got or more than who I am. Don't you ever feel that? You know, you look at your job and you're like, does anyone... 
Does anyone ever think, I don't want to be more than I currently am in life? I, I feel like that's probably something that we all feel from time to time. I want to be something better, something greater. And we see John the Baptist and he says, no, no, I don't want the bigger role. Well, he's happy with the role, but I don't want to be famous for the role. All I want to do is do it for God. And we've got to understand that God doesn't love us because we are important people. It's, it's so important, we've got to say it. He loves us because he loves us. And so we should find satisfaction in what we do in life. It's okay. And then think about, well, if God loves me so much, if he sends his son for me, then what should I do for him? What sort of kingdom work am I involved in? Am I satisfied with who I am, how God's made me? What can I do for his glory? There's a bloke in Kansas who made the news this week. Um, he is having a dispute with his ex-wife and he's quite frustrated with her and her lawyer. And so he's challenged them, he's asked the court actually, if he can challenge them to trial by combat, taking them on on the field of battle. I'm not making this up. David Ostrom, a 40-year-old bloke from um, Paola in Kansas, he, he asked the court if he could have 12 weeks to forge his katana and wakizashi swords so he could meet his ex-wife or her attorney on the field of battle. He says that will, do, that will solve the dispute. Okay, now he has no experience with sword fighting or sword making, but he says this is how we're going to resolve the problem that we're having. Now, I'm not sure what the dispute is all about, um, but the only way he can see it being solved is by taking matters into his own hand. He says, I'm not going to listen to the judge. The judge doesn't know best. I will do what I think is best. But uh, I've got some bad news for him. Well, in my opinion... I think that um, he won't win his case because I think it's quite unlikely that trial by combat will be approved by the court, don't you reckon? Um, who thinks it would be? Anyone? Oh, yeah, okay. Mia, fair enough. No, it's in Kansas, not, not Japan, Mia. It's in Kansas. He's just making Japanese swords. It's, okay. Well, oh, you're right. It's in Kansas. Good point. Um, uh, but even if he gets approved, let's say he gets approved. He's got 12 weeks to make his own swords. I don't reckon he can do that. Who, who thinks he can? There's a good YouTube video on it somewhere, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, folding that metal back and forth, I don't think so. And uh, even if he gets, goes ahead with this, I think he won't win his case. Because I think after his request, they're looking at him thinking, not quite all there. We'll give it to someone else. Um, here we go. Back in Mark, we've got a judgment, don't we? A judgment from heaven on who Jesus is. Do we ignore it and craft our own trial by combat? Or do we listen to what God says? Look in verse 9. Jesus came. He's baptized by John. Verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. Here's God saying, Jesus is the long awaited one. Don't get it wrong. And he's baptized. Now the thing is here, Jesus is from Nazareth of Galilee, which is a highly unusual place for a legendary person to come from. Okay, In fact, it's where the have nots live. Um, there's a guy who says, can anything good come from Galilee? It's just, it's, it's the deadbeat central of ancient Israel. Okay. No, nothing good is from there. Uh, if you're expecting someone to come and save the nation, you expect them to come from a high class suburb like St. Ives, all right, or, or Mossman. You don't expect them to come from, someone say a suburb, so I don't have to. <laughs> I said one at eight o'clock and they all groaned at me. Okay. I won't repeat that. Hey. Rooty Hill, did you say that, Shane? Okay, thank you. You don't expect the saviour of Sydney to come from Rooty Hill, do you? It's not going to happen, all right? It's as unlikely a pedigree as you could imagine. 
But God says to anyone who's going to listen, this is my beloved son with him I am well pleased. And then Jesus gets sent out to the wilderness. He's tempted 40 days. Remind you of anything? Israel, 40 years in the wilderness. There's a test. Jesus passes the test. Very brief content from Mark. He's trying to move on. This stuff's the background, he's saying. Let's see what happens here. And he comes back and he calls his first followers. And again, the lack of detail is quite striking. Verse, uh, verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. And he says to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. He walks along the sea. He sees Simon and he says, come follow me. And they say, well, who are you? No, they just do it, right? Further down the beach, James and John, same thing. They leave their father in the boat with the hired men. They walk away from the family business. What they're doing is huge. But they're saying, we will be fishers of men. Which is kind of a weird phrase, but... Essentially, it's about saving people from judgment, showing them that Jesus can bring them forgiveness, catching them, if you will, for the kingdom of God. The bait is simple. It's good news. It's the glorious good news of God's new creation in Jesus, God's new world for us, the the eternal wonders of that. It's the best news ever. And Jesus saying to these first guys, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, reminds us that Christianity is not some kind of cozy reassurance that everyone can have their own opinion and that's fine, okay? That's not what it's all about. It's actually saying to people, we have good news, life-changing, world-shaping good news of salvation from eternal life. And we're going to use this to catch people out of sin and despair and darkness and death and disease and we're going to bring them into this glorious new life in Jesus. And that's kind of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow in these footsteps, aren't we? You've got John the Baptist. You've got um, Andrew and Simon and James and John. They're all out there. We're going to go and we're going to spread the good news. And we've got to sort of follow the same sort of thing. We're not supposed to be as legendary as any of them were, and that's okay. But how do we do it? How do we share the good news? How do we point people to Jesus? We've got to be saying to people, don't follow me. Come follow Jesus. Come and follow him. So I've got a little challenge for you this year. Um, We're we're doing, um, in your new sheet, you might have seen it there, the uh, Mission 316 that we're doing all year long. Um, We're trying to share the good news of Jesus with all the other churches in this region. We're trying to let people know, come along, come and hear this good news of forgiveness. And one of the things that we want to do is is invite people along. So I want to just ask you this morning to think of just one person. One person you can pray for, that you can invite them to come along to church this year. Okay, just one person. And then maybe plan to invite them by Super Sunday, the 29th of March. All right, there you go, you've got two months. Um, I think I was sharing last year that I was trying to invite someone and praying for them. And then they came on a Super Sunday last year. They actually, I invited them, eventually came along. And um, Myra, is she in here? No. Myra noticed it and she came up to me, I was chatting with him and she comes up after, she goes, is that the guy you've been trying to invite all year? I said, that is the guy I've been trying to, how exciting is it that he actually came along? Um, now I've got to keep inviting him to come back, but he's been a few times. Um, but we have good news to share. And so we should be trying to share it. And it's as simple as inviting someone to come along. So think of one name, one person, and then pray for that person that they will come along.
There's a, a postal worker from Yokohama in Japan who was arrested recently, um, a 61-year-old, for hoarding 24,000 pieces of mail in his house that he had failed to deliver since 2003. The Postal Service earlier, this, earlier last year noticed unusual work activity from him, i.e. he wasn't doing much. And they, they let him go, and then eventually they, they went to his house and they found 24,000 undelivered letters, 24,000. You know when you say to the insurance company, did you get the check I sent in the mail? No, we didn't. And they think you're making it up. No, this guy had your mail, all right? Um, but why did he do it? Why did he not deliver the mail? Is it because he had some kind of fetish and he just liked having all that mail in his house? There's, there's a picture of it there. Did he like reading other people's letters? You know, he's living vicariously through others. He was a bit bored. Did it give him some comfort? Did he use it as a pillow? Well, no, none of the above. The guy was asked, why did you do it? And you know what he said? I just couldn't be bothered delivering the mail. I just couldn't be bothered. Now, it began back in 2003 when he realized that he wasn't as effective as other mailmen. And so he just gave up. He started hiding the mail at home. And he figured out, you know what, I don't care. I'll just take the mail home and I'll stash it there. He couldn't be bothered giving it to the intended recipients. And it's so easy to fall into apathy in life, isn't it? Whether it's about your job or about your faith. And it's so easy to say, I couldn't be bothered sharing the good news of Jesus. We read the papers today and we can see that our world is well catered for bad news, isn't it? There's a lot of bad news in the world we live in. There's a whole heap of things going wrong. What does really good news look like? Because here's the breaking message this morning. You have that good news. It's yours. Mark's excited. He's writing his book about it. The beginning of the good news of Jesus. And there's all sorts of good news. It would be good if council knocked on your door and said your foundations are astray. We'll fix them for you for free and pay you. Wouldn't that be great? That's not going to happen. But you have news of eternal life that you can share. It can happen because it's real. It's true. The best news, forgiveness from sin, eternal life in God's new creation through Jesus. Have someone you're praying for this year. Pray they'll come along. Share that good news. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that you are all about a relationship with people, that you look down, you love us, you care for us. And so, Father, help us now respond to the good news, to be prepared to accept Jesus ourselves, to turn and follow him, and then, Father, to call others to join us in your eternal kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.